You're about to listen to another Bonversation. Bonversations feature the most interesting and insightful people in the act realm and beyond. Every episode is made possible by people like you who value and support independent media. Now here's your host, JLB. Shit, they're lying to us! It's Bonversations number 36. We've got with us another very special guest making his third appearance here at Bonversations.com. Tim Osmond from the Infinite Plane Society, and he has appeared either at JohnLeBond.com or Bombersations.com a number of times. And just to refresh your memory, what were we talking about last time? Well, for Bombersations number 26, the topics and questions included, could the recent train derailment stories be fabricated from start to finish? Do you remember that story? About a year ago, that was the talk of the town. We also spoke about why are so many alternative content creators regularly involved in flame wars and online trolling campaigns and this other nonsense. And here we are a year on. I'm not sure that so much has changed. We might even talk about that later on in the call. And we also spoke about, this was in March of last year, we spoke about this EGI slash transvestigation thing. And I was asking, has it gotten just a little bit out of hand lately? So I'll link to that conversation in the show notes below and all of our previous conversations between myself and Tim Osman. We first spoke back in 2019. Can you believe that? So almost half a decade now of catching up once or twice a year. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here we are in 2024. In fact, it's January 22, 2024. And we've got a lot to speak about. So before I introduce our esteemed guest and say hello, here are some of the dot points that I've got on my little handy-dandy notepad here, we're going to talk about red pill alarmism and doomsdayism, and why do some people seem to truly want to believe that we're in the end time? Maybe we are in the end times, folks. Maybe I'm being too skeptical. We'll talk about that. Artificial intelligence, is it smarter than the truthers? That might sound crazy, but I'm serious about this. Is so-called AI technology already smarter than some of the smartest people that we know. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the current state of alternative media. I always like to catch up with Tim and talk about that topic because he's very much involved in it, as am myself and some of you guys as well. This to us is we spend more time in alternative media than we do in the mainstream media and consuming alternative content. So let's talk about the state of it today in 2024. We'll have an update on the trolls and some court cases that Tim has been involved in. Election 2024, friend or foe, is on my top point list. I'll let you guys in on a little secret. I'm considering, I'm seriously considering, totally ignoring the election cycle this year. No word of a lie. I'm considering not reading a single news article or watching a single YouTube video about the election and legitimately staying away from it so that if I am talking to a normie down at the old watering hole and they say to me, oh, did you see the Trump? I'll be like, no, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I know who Donald Trump is and I know that there's an election, but other than that, I've got no idea what's going on. I'm thinking of doing that. We'll talk about that later on in the call. And then finally, this is the part I'm looking forward to the most. What is this place really? This place that we call reality or life or earth or whatever words we use to describe this thing that we're all in, what is it really? Because a few months ago, I discovered something which shook me to the depths of my miserable soul. And I've got a new conception of what this place really is. So I'm looking forward to talking with Tim about all of that and so much more. We haven't spoken for almost a year, Tim. Can you believe that? It's great to have you back here at the Bombersations. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you for having me back on. I'm happy to be able to continue this conversation. And you said I'm the first person to be a third guest. And I think this is fantastic because we've been talking for more than half a decade, which is crazy to think about because in my normie life, there aren't many people I've been talking to for more than half a decade. And you're someone I only know online through this. But I very much look forward to this and discussing many of the developments that we've both observed from our own perspectives. And things have been evolving or devolving fast in the last few years in this realm. And one of the topics that I want to discuss today is what I consider to be the not even a trend, but just the intrinsic part of trutherism that leans towards end times eschatology, doomsday, when's it going to end? And that's become increasingly pronounced in the last few years and uh, really in the last 
I'd say year. But I think a lot of the doomsdayism needs to be looked at objectively. And see, to continue on from last year, maybe we could also touch on what it really meant that we had all these train derailments that seemingly were predicted in a movie, and it seemed like it was a big deal, and then they just stopped. And it's one of the things I've noticed as well over the years is you have current things that everybody focuses on in a very NPC fashion, and then the channel changes, and they move on to the next thing, and people seem to have a short memory. And that's another reason why I like these conversations because we have a memory extending back years. We're not only plugged into the current thing. So again, uh, thanks for having me on. And let's go ahead and um, where do you want to get started? Want to talk about red pill alarmism first? Yes, that's the first topic I want to discuss properly. However, I've got this little habit that I'm in of thinking that probably 95% of people who listen to this are familiar with Tim Osmond and the Infinite Plane Society. But just in case somebody is new here, can you give us like an elevator pitch or a very brief, concise summary? What is Infinite Plane Society? How long have you been doing it? What is the point of it? And what's the general themes and what kind of content do you release? I could sit here and explain it to them, but they've just heard me jibber-jabber on for three or four minutes about the plan for today. So why don't you tell us, what is the IPS? Who is Tim Osman and what do you do? Okay, um, excellent question. I am the host of Infinite Plane Radio, and people know me as Tim Osman, and they primarily know me from that. But Infinite Plane Radio is the voice of Infinite Plane Society, which is a think tank centered around mass media deconstruction. We analyze the news in a very holistic way, looking at news monolithically. So we look at the movies, predictive programming, news as it's happening, and we discuss these things. And we've arrived at what I call an off-world stage perspective, meaning that my contention here is that the consensus worldview is actually a model of reality that has been imposed upon the masses. And the more we analyze this internalized, or what we're supposed to internalize, this worldview and compare it to the real thing, we find discrepancies. We find discrepancies, they call us conspiracy theorists. But what I've gradually come to realize over these years is that those of us on the fringe who've been consistently skeptical have been consistently validated, vindicated by the evidence. We haven't been contradicted. None of the stuff we call fake has ever turned out to be real. And so having this perspective and having a group of people has been the theme of this whole uh, podcast, meaning it's not just me. It's a group of people who've been with me for years, as you have. And we sit in this chat. And so even though I'm discussing events or what's on my mind, I constantly refer to the people in the chat to see where they're at. And I think this model is what we're going to maintain into the future. So the IPS Think Tank is a little more than a live stream podcast. It's a research pool. And as we've developed, I've realized, okay, we have to have a separate methodology for approaching mass media because the normies just believe it. If it's on the screen, it's real. But then the conspiracy theorists tend to have a more elaborate view of things, but they don't actually subtract the unverifiables, meaning I often find that truthers are deeper into the web of narratives than the normies, and they think that they're closer to the truth. And my contention here is, no, they've been largely misled and duped, which leads them into alarmism. And I think it's all by design. So what the IPS has done separately or as a separate movement is recognize we can't necessarily group ourselves with truthers because many of them lack the objectivity to see where they may have been duped or misled. And what we're trying to do here is maintain an objective perspective. And I think we've done so. And this year, it's going to be a, a, a good test because it's an election year. And anybody who's following a politician at our level of awareness about media has to recognize that you're following either A, an insulated dupe who just is following a program and they don't know what's real any more than the normie, or you're following somebody who knows and they're part of the manipulation. It doesn't make sense to me, therefore, why anybody would involve themselves in world stage politics on a personal level. And I think this is a key point here because the people who are personally vested into the world stage theater, they're emotional, they're triggered, and they're triggerable. And I'm saying that those of us who are skeptical and analytical about media, who unplug from the 
24-7 news cycle where every day you have all this news to pay attention to. By stepping back a little bit, I think we liberate ourselves from the compulsory reaction that everyone else has to go through. And so in other words, I, I think the IPS think tank represents a separate body of individuals from alt-media. I don't consider us to be alt-media or truthers. In fact, I think we are, again, when I say off-world stage perspective, I think we're actually outside of a controlled paradigm. So that's pretty much the IPS has always been this. It's been a, a platform for discussing things outside of the acceptable discourse as defined by mainstream. And so we're not simply defined by any one issue. We're not anti-V or flat earth. There's these people get stuck in their little compartments. And I'm like, no, we have to remember that we're trying to, I think, ascertain what's real and then what is distorted. And then we're looking at the mechanisms by which they distort our internalized representation of the world. And so that's what I think we should be about, or trutherism should be about. It should be about confronting internalized lies. But what I've observed is that many people who understand the media lies become truthers, and then they just become carriers of what I consider to be establishment-friendly counter-narratives, where they're, they're now part of the play. And I'm opting out of the play. And this year, as far as the election goes, I see myself as observing it, but I am not taking sides. And you'll notice that the default position for any conspiracy theorist is to vote for Donald Trump because he's going to beat the deep state. He's going to win. You know, he's going to, he's going to solve all the conspiracies. And that's been one of his pitches from the beginning. And I think this ties into QAnon and all of that, where they realize that there's a voting block to be created out of conspiracy theorists. And that's happened over the last few years. And I think it's been disastrous for trutherism in general that it's become politicized because if it's politicized, it's not outside of the controlled paradigm, which is where I'm trying to get at. You know, it's interesting you say that because I got into this, what I call the act realm, alternative conspiracy truth. I call it the act realm. I got into this around 2013, 14, and I started podcasting in 2014. So I saw what happened in 2016 with Trump and the way that so many alternative outlets got right behind the Trump campaign. And so did their audiences, apparently. The large bulk of the so-called awake or aware people seemed to fall right into the political system back in 2016. And I saw this happen in real time. And I said to people, hey, what, what's going on here? Since when do you believe in politics? And I was treated by some people as though I was part of the problem because I wasn't jumping on board the Trump train. And then, of course, over the next few years, we found out that Trump was no solution to the problems that people had been discussing. I saw all of that in real time, Tim. I've been here for 10 years now doing this. You've been here for about eight years doing this. We have seen a lot of people come and go. We've seen different movements come and go. We're almost like veterans of the scene, Tim, what say you? Exactly. Uh, what we have between us and our listeners really is we have a group of people who've observed the transformation of trutherism, which has really been co-opted by the political right, by nationalist interests. And I think it's been also pretty clear that a lot of the people who went with politics saw this as a way to solve what they saw as a very negative thing, because a lot of conspiracy theories paint the world in a very negative light. And the idea of a savior, is, I, I can see why that's attractive to a lot of people. They're like, hey, look, the elite are drinking the blood of babies, but if we elect Donald Trump, he will get rid of them. That's a good sell. It's a good pitch, and it, it worked. But I didn't fall for it. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I can see the appeal of the savior and the person who comes along and is going to make things better. And Trump is very charismatic, and I find him rather amusing. So I can see why a lot of people wanted to believe in him. The issue for me was, hold on, we've just spent the last couple of years talking about how the politicians are no solution to anything. The whole system, you know, blue and the red, they're two wings of the same bird, and now everyone's jumping behind a, a billionaire, an ostensible billionaire celebrity reality TV show host who's in the WWE Hall of Fame, what the hell is going on here? And sometimes I look back and I think that should have been my cue to not take the, the so-called awake people too seriously because clearly they were anything but. Now, getting back to your overview of the Infinite Plane Society, so you call it a think tank, that is centered around a Discord, isn't it? A Discord server is where the bulk of the think tank activity takes place. Is that right? Yes. We originally 
center our activities on live YouTube streams. But then as that became less hospitable to free thinkers and the free flow of ideas and increasingly censorous, we moved over to Discord as a 24-7 research facility and also Gilded, which is basically another version of Discord. But yes, we're primarily centered there and the activities ongoing nonstop. And there was one more thing about your overview that I wanted to touch on because I don't think you explained one of the best parts of what you do, which is mainstream media deconstruction focusing on films and Netflix and a different propaganda and what you call predictive programming that can be found within. And when you were first appeared on Bombersations back in 2021, June of 2021, so what's that? Two and a half years ago now, goodness gracious, we spoke about Vanilla Sky, Donnie Darko, The Truman Show, and certain things they all have in common. And we also spoke about how you predicted, it seems as though you predicted, and if people don't believe this, go to Bombersations episode number 12. I'll put a link in the show notes below. It appears as though Tim Osman has somehow predicted the news story that was big at the time of a Chinese skyfall. And you even appeared, Tim, to get the coordinations, the coordinates of that supposed skyfall correct as well ahead of time. Do you remember this? And what can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've been looking at the media as a monolithic entity. So when I see themes in entertainment that point to the same exact event, and then you see real world events happen that correlate with it, you know, that's what we call predictive programming. And the error a lot of, uh, I think, truthers make is they think that the predictive programming tells us what the bad guys are going to do. And what they're going to do is real. And I'm saying that, no, the predictive programming is more like conditioning us so that when they pull off some kind of extraordinary event, uh, it seems natural. It seems like it follows logically, and it doesn't really get anybody to question its integrity as an actual event. They just debate over whose fault it is. So at that time, I was recognizing that there's a ton of predictive programming for space junk for the space station coming down, all kinds of stuff I was looking at. And there's a consistency in the numerology, in the symbolism. In fact, just three days ago, I was watching a movie called ISS at the theater about the space station. Interestingly enough, it came out on 119, and that's the day Donnie Darko came out. That number actually has a lot of significance as a reverse 9-11, but a lot of significance specifically to this theme of the falling space station. So the fact that the movie came out on that day, I think underscores that we've picked up on a pretty big pattern. So going back to the Chinese Skyfall incident, there was a drill done in May of 2019 where NASA worked with FEMA and they called it a fictional event where they're coordinating on the ground with the space station for if something happens, who responds on the ground? And they get all of their National Guard out. They declare states of emergency in certain states, pending some object falling from the sky. So I watched this drill, but then a year, pretty much almost to the day, a real event happened where part of a Chinese space station almost fell on New York, which would have been a space-born 9-11. And I thought, you know, that's not a coincidence that they have a drill for it. And then it happens almost exactly like the drill. And this is something that many of us have already recognized, that there's a correlation here between drills and events, and I think they use the drills to get the staging in place, the personnel, the actors, and we see this with, it's very consistent. So based on predictive programming as a predictive model, I have made predictions, and they have come true, more or less. And it's a, and in fact, very recently, because you mentioned Donnie Darko, uh, there's a movie that just came out called Leave the World Behind, which has a lot of Donnie Darko tie-ins. And that movie is predicting, if you look at it as a predictive programming example, blackouts, Tesla cars piling up, planes falling from the sky. Well, following that movie, immediately after, Tesla had to recall 1.6 million cars because of something with the autopilot. Immediately after, we had story after story of incidents with airplanes. Like the one airplane had part of its wall open up. Another plane the other day in Miami just burst into flames as a cargo plane. So there's this, what I describe this as, it's life follows psyops, and psyops follow art. There's a direct connection between what we see in the movies and then what they bring us in the news. And the movies more or less prepare you. 
they make you suggestible and I think they insert things into your into the realm of possibility in your frame of reference and they contextualize it so in other words what you reference with the falling piece of Chinese space junk yeah that was a prediction based on predictive programming as a model and again not to predict what's going to happen but to predict what they're going to fake and look there's a really great example of this right this minute that I've, I've picked up on having to do with predictive programming and how people misinterpret it. Like, for example, uh, a very popular right-wing reporter, journalist, who used to work for Project Veritas, her name is Laura Loomer, very close to Trump. And she picked up on predictive programming, suggesting that there might be an assassination attempt on Trump. And she found it on a, in a magazine by the son of George Soros, where it has a bullet hole and then some money that adds up to 47. And she decoded this like the way we would, but she's a mainstream person. And she's like, look, there's a hint here. There's a threat that they're going to take out Trump. And everyone's like, yep, they're going to do it. This is a threat. And I'm like, no, this is not how it works. They're preparing people for what they're going to simulate. Yet the truthers out there are the first ones to say it's real, but there's a different explanation than the mainstream explanation. So in other words, even right now as we speak, very popular channels are talking about predictive programming, but they're misinterpreting it, which is the pattern. Yeah, so for anybody who is new to Bonversations, who might not be aware of this, Tim Osmond has appeared twice in the past, episodes number 12 and 26. They are available publicly at bonversations.com, and it's at episode 12 where we speak about the predictions that Tim had made and then what came to pass. So if you are skeptical, and I hope that you are, of anybody who says that they've made predictions, why not go out and check the evidence? It's available at bombersations.com. Tim Osmond appeared on episode number 12 two and a half years ago. And we spent a lot of that episode talking about the films and what happens within some of these films. Some people call it predictive programming. I prefer to use the word sync. And Tim and I discuss our different perspectives on that. It's all available at bombersations.com. Now, Tim, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about in this first part of the call where we're introducing you to the audience even though most of them are familiar with you, some of them might not be, one of my favorite things that anybody in this scene has ever done is go to the Albuquerque Town Hall and speak about this potential deception that is costing taxpayers billions of dollars. I'm smiling as I talk about this. Hopefully, most of the audience remember exactly what I'm talking about. But for those who don't, Tim, I'm going to insert here a two-minute clip of you appearing under the name Mark Sargent at the Albuquerque, what's it called? The Albuquerque Town Hall? Albuquerque, what's the name of this place? City Council. The Albuquerque City Council. This man who I'm speaking with right now, back in 2017, April 3 of 2017, this gentleman, Tim Osmond, under the name Mark Sargent, appeared before the, I guess we would call them councillors in Australia. What do you call these people who were, you know, sitting at the front of this uh, meeting. What do these people call themselves? We, we call them councillors here as well. Excellent. So Tim Osmond gets in front of these councillors and there's people behind him who also want to get up and speak about God knows what these people want to talk about. This guy gets up there and he wants to talk about a topic that's very dear to his heart and probably dear to many of you listening as well, certainly for me. I'm going to insert this clip right here, Tim. Before I do, set the scene for the listeners. What are they about to hear? Okay, well, when we were... In the early stages of the IPS, we realized that the conversation is being contained on YouTube. And the people on YouTube who arrive at this information are not going to be the ones to reveal it or to expose it. We need more minds involved. So I said, let's take this to the city council meeting. And we had a strategy here. We said, we can't talk about Flat Earth. Nobody will listen. But we can talk about something that they can objectively question. So we decided, let's focus on the space station, because if it's fake, there's billions of dollars going into it that could be going somewhere else. And this might be something I could get through the filter. This might actually go viral. And then we decided, too, that it's not enough that I just go out there and say it. And my own name won't bring up any relevant contact if anybody searches for me. They'll search for content. They search my name. They're going to find 50 other people with my name. So we decided, let's use the name of the most popular, prominent, flat earth content creator so that it elevates the conversation into the realm where the public can actually access it, whether they want to hear it or not. 
we were just trying to release this mind virus into the mainstream. So I chose to use the name Mark Sargent for that reason. And I think it was rather effective. And interestingly enough, this video went viral again about a month ago. 350,000 hits on TikTok, half a million hits on Twitter in the course of about two days. Well, I want to come back and talk about the success that this video has had multiple times. But first, let's put this in here for the listeners to hear for themselves. This is Tim Osman, under the name Mark Sargent, talking at the Albuquerque City Hall. Take a listen to this. Hello, the name is Mark Sargent. That's oh. wrong. Oh. Now that's going to be a tough act to follow, but I'll do my best. Oh. Okay, I just wanted to draw, uh, council members, thank you for listening. I want to draw the public's attention to what may be an extremely egregious example of malfeasance. And just to help illustrate the gravity of the situation, imagine if the federal government gave $19.5 billion to Hollywood. I think we'd all be pretty upset by this. Well, there is a growing body of evidence that the International Space Station is not in outer space, but it's being filmed in a desalinated pool down here on Earth, and it's being falsely misrepresented. And uh, this started with this phenomenon known as bubbles in space. If you search for it, you'll see many of these so-called spacewalks, which have been falsely misrepresented as live, as has been exposed many times on Facebook when they do their live ISS feeds, bubbles out in space. Well, there's not supposed to be water up there. And it is known that the astronauts do train in these big underwater tanks. And so this body of evidence, and it's not just bubbles in space. There are harnesses or green screens, evidence of flights that are actually on parabolic flights, not in space. And if this is true, it's a big deal, because that's a lot of money that could be used for our own infrastructure or schools, whatever. So I'm drawing the attention to it because I think it's something that deserves to be looked at. Uh, because if it's true, these bubbles in space might represent the smoking gun in probably the biggest hoax since uh, global warming. Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. Thanks for so there you were, Tim, up on stage to talk to these people. Before we had this conversation today, when was the last time you went back and listened to that or watched that video? Okay, I hadn't watched it for years until about a month and a half ago. Somebody said, hey, look, Stu Peters, who's one of the more popular right-wing influencers, uploaded the video to his Twitter account and it had gone viral. And so I hadn't heard it until then. And a lot of people seemed to agree with me. And there, there were a few disparaging comments. They're like, oh, this guy doesn't believe in the ISS. He doesn't believe in showers either, which is kind of ironic because I had just taken a shower. I just left the gym. So my hair was wet and I wasn't dirty or whatever. But most of the comments were like, well, this guy's right. That thing is a movie. So yeah, I hadn't heard it for years and then it just popped up again. Well, it's been almost seven years, which some people, they think that, you know, a person's life can almost be broken up into chapters of, say, seven years. So it's been a long time since you did that. Can I ask you, this might sound like a strange question, but how do you feel looking back at that? Do you remember what was going through your mind when you came up with this idea? Do you remember if you were nervous getting up in front of these people? Do you remember if you had any idea in your head about how successful that video would be? Do you have any sentiments about, oh, it was kind of cool that back when I was younger, I did that. Can you walk us through what's in your mind looking back at what you did seven years ago? Something that most people would never have the temerity to even think of doing. You got up there and did that. How do you feel looking back at that clip now? Well, it's at the time I was very much involved in like my background was like, like marketing specifically because I was selling art. And when I got involved with this flat earth fringe, I realized what I can bring to the table is the ability to create viral phenomenon. And I wanted to just demonstrate. So for example, a week before, actually right after that, actually for Earth Day, I went to an Earth Day protest or an Earth Day climate change gathering. And I went and protested them, a solitary protester against 3,000 people. You know, I got kicked out because of my megaphone. But at that time, I was specifically trying to create viral content. We did a billboard. I said research flat earth for the same reason. So this was actually a PR stunt. And I wanted to do something to demonstrate my abilities as a marketer. And I think the fact that seven years later it goes viral uh, is a testament to the fact that I knew what I was doing then. So it was very calculated, uh, to be honest. And I, as far as the nervousness goes, I was not so much nervous as I was um, 
because I, I had some practice going to city council. I had done it a few times, and I'd been booed at by large numbers of people. But I was more expectant. I was more like interested, curious. What's going to happen if we throw this curveball into the matrix? Because the people in the mainstream media had never confronted some of these fringe topics. So I was looking at this as, you know, like uh, like the goddess Eris when she rolls the golden apple into the ball and, and creates the, the chaos that results in the Trojan War. Like, to me, it was just, it was a chaos grenade. Well, I'm not sure if we have a word for it in English. If we do, my English ability is not good enough to know this. But if there's some word I wish there were to describe a sense of, maybe not pride, but happiness, looking back at previous ideas or achievements or things that we've done. What I'm trying to get at here is, do you feel that looking back at that? Do you feel like, that's kind of cool what I did. That younger version of me, that's a pretty cool thing he did. Do you sort of feel that, again, pride, I don't think captures what I'm trying to communicate here, but do you have some sense of positive sentiments towards that seven-year younger version of yourself? Yes. Uh, See, because at that time, I hadn't encountered any of the negativity from the truthers, except from some of the trolls, but there was a camaraderie there. That's why I was thinking, you know, we could just use this to elevate Infinite Plane Society. But I specifically said, no, we're doing this to get the idea out. And that's why we threw it over to Mark Sarge's name so he could bounce off it. So at the time, there was a, a bit of, I guess I'd say, naivety, I guess. I was um, a lot more open to going on camera and saying things that might potentially look foolish. And there, weren't, there wasn't a sense of consequence at that time. So things weren't as heavy. I wasn't being targeted for harassment and censorship. Uh, the money from the live stream was actually decent. So looking back at it, yeah, I, I have a bit of nostalgia, to be quite honest, um, for that state. Although I think we can kind of recapture that. But at the same time, now I know more about the truth or is a movement. And so, yeah, things have definitely changed. I'm a little nostalgic. If there are any Englishologists out there who know if there is a word in English that I'm trying to use here, it's kind of a mix between pride and nostalgia, as Tim just said. Some sense of positivity looking back at previous things that we've done. I hope you feel that way, Tim, because I look back at some of the things I did seven or eight years ago, and I think, well, if, if you could take me back to that time, knowing what I know now, I would do things differently. But at that time, I can see what I was trying to do. It worked out really well, and I'm proud of it or I'm nostalgic about it, or I'm, I feel some sense of, yeah, I do things differently now, but that was kind of cool. And I think what you did getting up in front of that Albuquerque town hall or whatever you call it, that still makes me laugh to this day. And I've probably seen that clip 50 times. So well done on that. And to any listeners who weren't previously familiar with you, I think they've got an idea of who you are now. You're not just someone who sits behind a microphone and just jibber jabbers. You have tried to be active and you've tried to make a difference. And I think, and I'm sure most of the listeners and the people over at the Infinite Plan Society will agree, you have made a very positive impact on the scene insofar as one man can because there's only so much a person can do, but you've done a lot and I'm grateful for it. So with all of that said, let's move on to the topics that we said we'd talk about today. This red pill alarmism and doomsdayism has been a focus of yours over the last few months or even maybe the last year or so. So can you tell us what is it that you're talking about specifically with this red pill doomsdayism and alarmism? And I know what you're talking about, but for anybody who might not know exactly where you're coming from with this. Walk us through it. What are you talking about here? Okay, I think there's a there's a culture within trutherism, which I, I use that phrase because there are orthodoxies that all truthers tend to just gravitate to. And these things haven't been internally challenged. So for example, it's almost a cliche that all truthers are going to have some kind of apprehension about so-called chemtrails, for example. And when I, I look at that, I think, okay, you're looking at cirrus clouds generated or created by what is supposedly jet exhaust and condensation in rarefied air, which is a predictable thing. But if you go with the theory that it might be chemicals, it might be toxic, well, now your skies are both ugly and poisonous. So to me, that is a a very dark take on your day-to-day existence. And I find that there are many different examples of where they're basically saying the sky is falling. And I'm like, how is this any different and the people who say that the ocean levels are rising. There's just alarmism on the blue pill normie world and their existence. It's always got this kind of um, eminent threats here and there. But then I see the truthers going deeper into fear. And so I examine these things and I ask, well, is this something really to be afraid of? And I'm finding more and more that the truthers are reticent to let go of fear. Uh, they're reticent to say nobody died. 
They want to cling to the reality of the mind war deceptions. And so I see the alarmism as actually an emotional response, which is the opposite of, I'd say, intellectually parsing the facts. It's almost like a, a panic. And I see a lot of moral panic also thrown in there. So I see red pill alarmism as actually the major deficit of truthers. It's the the, the real firewall that keeps them from seeing through the media matrix, I think, is their fear about the various, what I consider to be superstitions that it has inserted into their lives. And the doomsday thing is kind of like, it just depends on, it's like choose your own doomsday. For some, it's the Great Reset. For some, it's Nibiru, pole shifting. I see so many examples of people who are convinced that they don't know how, but the world's about to end. And I just, I just think that we shouldn't automatically accept the premise that the world's going to end. And it seems like the truthers have kind of accepted that as, a, as just the basic backdrop against their entire assessment. The world's going to end. We got to wake people up. And I'm not with that. I don't think we're. He- I don't think it makes any sense to, quote, wake people up, nor do I think you can wake people up. And I don't think truthers are in any position to wake people up, because although it's true the blue pill normies are dreaming, I would say the red pillars are having a nightmare. They're not awake. Well, what I've done is, because I knew we were going to be talking about this topic today, this idea of eschatology and the people who think we're living in the end times, and I agree with you that a lot of so-called awake people seem to want to believe we're in the end times, but they're not the only ones who do. I found this study from the Pew Research Center, and of course, any study should be taken with a grain of salt, you know, read into it as much as you want to, but I found this one. It's very interesting. This is from December of 2022, and it says about four in 10 US adults believe humanity is living in the end times. They say it's about 40%, and then the study that they did broke it down into Christian, agnostic, different levels of education. They even broke it down into different racial groups. So let me ask you this, Tim. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but this isn't just for you. It's for the listeners as well. If you had to guess among white, black, Hispanic, and Asian people, according to this study, and it's only one study I know, but let's just go with what we've got here. Of those four racial or ethnic breakdowns, which group do you think had the highest response of yes to are we living in the end times? And of course, I'll put a link to this in the show notes below, like I always do. But the question for you, Tim, and the question for all the listeners all around the world here at conversations.com, if you had to guess out of white, black, Hispanic, and Asian, which of those groups do you think had the highest response of yes to the question, is humanity living in the end times? Okay, interesting question. Now, I, I would contend that the end times is inserted for a very specific reason, because they control time and space. They can restrict the amount of land you live on and roam over. They can certainly restrict your sense of time, locking you into a present and preventing you from thinking a century in advance, like I think the power elite do. So I would rule out anyone who's not heavily mediated or tied into um, eschatology in the Christian sense. So I'm ruling out Asians and crossing out Hispanics. I'm going to go with white as the group that might be the most propagated with the doomsday scenario, because even the non-religious, atheistic whites believe we're in the end times, and that's because, of course, climate change. That's a very interesting answer. So, of course, the question was, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, which ones believe that we're living in the end times more than the others? Now, this particular survey had a sample size of around 10,000 people, which, for those who've studied statistics will know, that's a pretty decent sample size. So, it Assuming that they're not lying and not making up their methodology and assuming that they really did have 10,000 respondents, this is a fairly representative sample size. Again, we're talking about statistics and the way that it works. Yeah, 10,000 isn't the same as polling all Americans, but the way statistics works is you don't, to find out the general trends, you don't need to poll every single person. It gives you an idea of the trends and the difference between the racial or ethnic groups was substantial. What I've done there is I've put a link in the call specific chat of the program that we're using to have this conversation right now, Tim, go and check this out. That is the Pew Research Center. About four in 10 US adults believe humanity is living in the end times. Go and check that out and then just scroll down to the little tally that they've got on the right-hand side with the blue and the yellow for the yes and the no. Oh, yeah. I see it. I see it here. Okay. US Protestants and evangelical and historically black traditions especially likely to believe 
humanity living in the end times. Fascinating. And I would say, too, that MAGA Trumpism is a branch of evangelicalism. They've actually merged it. So that's fascinating because that is definitely an end times thing. And then when you go down to the group at the bottom, white, black, Hispanic, and Asian, for the listeners, obviously you can't see the table, but I can explain it to you. They say that roughly a third of white people say, yes, we're in the end times. For black people, it is two-thirds. And then for Hispanic, it's about 40%, which fits in with just the general trend or the general uh, response rate of the American wider public. And then Asian, it's about a third, which is just under the average. So blacks are way overrepresented in the yes column is what I'm trying to say. In other words, let me try and explain this. I'm not the most, my English isn't at its best right now, Tim, if I'm being honest with you, but I'm doing my best here. About 40% of respondents in this survey at the end of 2022 said, yes, we're living in the end times. It was about 40% across the board. Among white people, it was about a third. So just under the average. Among black people, it was two-thirds. Now, I do not live in America, and I don't pretend to have any black American friends, or I didn't go to school with any black Americans, or any white Americans for that matter. So I don't pretend to know what's going on there, Tim, but you are from America. You're in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Can you think of any reasons why black people would be two out of three saying they believe in the end times? Can you think of any reasons off the top of your head? Yeah, this... This actually surprises me because I don't know if it surprises me. That's why I'm asking you. I couldn't believe it when I saw this. I was like, what the hell? That is a huge disparity. There has to be a reason. And I have no idea what it is. I guess maybe because we're talking about black Americans. And so we're bringing in the religion that they were basically imported and what was imposed, what they're. So I'm thinking maybe it has to do with the religiosity of the South and the evangelicalism. That must be it. That would be the only explanation because I think it really comes down to mediation. But I still find it somewhat surprising. I also found it surprising. And I think that answer that you just gave makes the most sense. It's like there are different factors involved. So if there are more people who are involved in certain religions who happen to be a certain ethnicity or race, and those religions tend to believe in end times more like it, it's not a racial thing. It's more of a religiosity thing. That makes sense to me. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. The other thing that stood out to me, though, was the education level. So, again, for listeners, see if you can guess the answer to this. Again, we're talking about a study, and I know people. some people want to dismiss all studies. I get it, but this is what we're working with here. Of the three education levels, you've got high school or less, some college or college graduate. Of those three groups, which one do you think was most likely to say that we're living in the end times? People who've done high school, a bit of college, or they've graduated college, which one of those three is most likely to say yes? We are in the end times. Of course, Tim, you can see the answer to that because you've got this study in front of you now. The answer is high school or less. One in two people who never went further than high school in the United States says, yes, we're in the end times. One in two people. And this isn't truth. This is just the general American population. One in two people who either finished high school and then went off into the workforce or whatever, or never finished high school. That is, they never went to college. One in two. Tim, can you believe that? I find this very hard to believe. That's incredible. I say it's even more incredible than this because even though there are fewer people who believe that we're in the end times when they go to college, according to this, when they go through college, they're indoctrinated into a scientific eschatology, climate change. You cannot graduate with a degree and not believe in that end time scenario, which fits within this paradigm of scientism. So I would almost go so far as to say, that whatever your belief system on the world stage, if you internalize the world stage construct, you believe we're in the end times. And that's whether you are a, a Christian and you have these uh, traditional beliefs or you're uh, indoctrinated into the new scientific paradigm. You may not believe that Jesus is coming, but you believe that Gaia is going to take revenge on man for exploiting her fossil fuels. So there's end times on both sides. And this is why I'm pointing out the end times mentality among truthers. It's like you guys just gave yourselves an alternative end time scenario. And end times means time is running out, that we have less than we, that we have a, a smaller range to look forward because now we know it's going to end. So we can, we don't have, we, we, we think short term instead of long term. And I think this is also designed to induce, you know, the stress of scarcity, scarcity and competition for 
uh, limitation or limited resources. Like we're living in the time of the attention economy. So I'm looking at this as end times is a prerequisite for the world stage. Yeah, you're right on the money and you've touched on the exact reason why I wanted to raise this with you. Because according to this study, the people least likely to believe are in the end times, supposedly, are college graduates and atheists. In fact, according to this survey, only one in 10 atheists says that they believe we're living in the end times. But I bet you if you ask those exact same people, are we living in a climate crisis? Is the world in the brink of a mass catastrophe and an extinction event? It'd be flipped around. The atheists, the supposed atheists and the college graduates would be the people who would definitely say yes, the vast majority of them. So it's almost like, and you've been touching on this for years now, it's almost like people's eschatology and time belief, if they're educated at college, if they've gone to university and they've studied and they watch PBS or the ABC in Australia or government-funded propaganda, in my opinion, if they watch and believe this crap and they study this crap, they do believe in the end times. But it's just that the earth is in the end times. It might not be our lifetime, but in a generation or two, there'll be sea rises and there'll be bushfires and there'll be all kinds of all kinds of climate catastrophes. So it's simply, it seems to me, this is the point I'm trying to make here, it seems to me that people's natural predilection, their natural tendency to believe in end times, what's happened is among the so-called atheists and the so-called educated people, it's just been taken from, oh, we're in the end times and Jesus is coming to, we're in the end times and the sea levels are going to rise, and the polar bears are going to go extinct, this kind of crap. 100%. What I see going on here, and I've been observing this trend, is they're transitioning the collective from traditional sin or traditional values into the new worldview. So in other words, traditional eschatology is being replaced with this new eschatology. Traditional concepts of Sin have been replaced by things like the carbon footprint or even the virus, where you have a new priesthood to help regulate and save humanity. And you divide people into saved and unsaved based on their relationship to what? The state church, the media, and its version of salvation from whatever it is, whether it's the climate change they can help us remediate if we change our ways, or the pandemic. And so what what I'm pointing out here is that they are transitioning us into a new paradigm and it's no more closer to the truth it's just a more scientific or i guess it's, it's cloaked in science but yeah it's it's more compatible with our scientific paradigm where the people who don't believe in god will literally laugh at you if you say you believe in noah's ark yet they believe the ocean levels are rising and i'm saying that these are i would say equal in fact not only equal i think these are based on the same template and you, you touched on this. I think they're tapping into primal fears, our natural predilections to fear certain things. Our basic fears might relate to, for example, fear of the sky god, all these different religions. It might tie into our natural instincts to protect ourselves from the climate. So I think they're tapping into primal fears, and they recognize that they can just continue to terrorize us with superstition if they dress it up with science. And this is one of my favorite things about what you do is you point out that the so-called educated people today, the regular people and the people who watch, like I said, uh, in my country, in Australia, it's called the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. In your country, I'm sure everybody listening has their own state-funded broadcast media. People who consume that and consider themselves awake and aware of the important issues, they do believe in a religion. They just think that it's not a religion. It's called science. And they think that it's the opposite of religion. But actually, when you take a step back and look at the different belief systems, including eschatology, this idea that there is going to be an end of the world, how does this all end? They've got all of the same things as religion. It's just given a different name, science. And so you and I first started talking back and forth in 2019, a year before the big event, where we saw what happens when the TVs and the radios and the newspapers start telling people that there's this horrible boogeyman there's a evil, invisible entity, and it wants to kill you. It wants to possess your body. It wants to possess your body, Tim. It wants to possess your body, and once it possesses your body, it's going to possess your loved ones and the people you work with. So stay home, right? The village style. There's these boogeymen on the loose. Stay home, stay safe. This one's invisible, Tim. And almost everybody believed it. Almost every single person who you live near, who you work with, who you communicate with, who you shop, you buy your apples and oranges and bananas from, almost everybody, Tim, believed there was this 
invisible entity on the loose. Now, I didn't fall for it, Tim, and hopefully most of the people who follow my work didn't fall for it. You didn't fall for it. Hopefully most of the people who followed your work didn't fall for it. We were immune to this nonsense because we've been deconstructing this religion known as science leading up to it. But most of the people, Tim, they were vulnerable. They were like lambs to the slaughter. Their minds weren't ready. They weren't prepared to fight back against this nonsense parading as science. It was actually just more religious tropes, what say you? Absolutely. Uh, They didn't have a chance. I don't think the normies or even most truthers have the perspective to see through these things because they still think, and this is truthers, they think it's real until we can prove it fake. So they start trying to investigate it. And if you operate on that premise that it's real until proven fake, you automatically step into their game and you are being played at that point. And I think real skepticism involves suspending judgment until you can verify what they're saying. And by suspending judgment and not rushing to believe uh, the think tank here, we definitely didn't fall for it. And we watched everyone else line up like, it was like certain truthers would come out, big channels, and they would have this line and everyone would go behind them and they would say, wait a minute, this guy says it's a bioweapon. And I'm like, wait, we don't even know that people are dying. Do we have to accept that premise? And I watched as the truthers all got swept up into what I believe to be the establishment-friendly controlled opposition. And you know, on that point, I actually define this. I call what we're experiencing, what we're living through, a bifurcated mind war, meaning it's designed to have a separate interpretation for the left and right, and it puts them into mutually antagonistic positions. And the one position that they don't promote is not taking one. And that's where I've been at, is I'm not taking a position. I'm not going to line up behind the lesser of two evils. I'm not going to line up behind whatever I'm being peer pressured into, unless the facts support it. And when it came to even what we're describing now, 2020, coming on, it was the imposition of a belief system. And I think this is really the crux of it. We're in a world of believers who've been turned into believers by the mass media infrastructure. And I distinguish between a believer and a knower. And we're in the age of information, the information age. There's no excuse why we shouldn't be more knowledgeable about the things we claim to believe, where a belief in my definition is really something that you don't have all the information for, but you've accepted it on authority. And I think the authority of the screen is not being challenged by truthers, which is why they happen to get deceived every single time. They tend to take a lot of loaded statements at face value without questioning that the question itself, if you accept it, might get you to take in a premise. So in other words, the truthers are being duped just as well as the mainstream media are into taking a side. And that's one of my main points has been, it's a bifurcated mind war. And if you're taking a side, you're participating. And the one position that nobody has really elucidated is the off-world stage perspective, which is what I think that we actually inhabit here. Well, I want to make a confession to you, Tim, and to all listeners out there all around the world here at Bombversations.com. When I first got into what I call the act realm, this alternative stuff, when I first got into it, I did fall for some of the end of times nonsense. Not maybe as in a literal Jesus is coming back or a comma's going to hit. I didn't believe in that stuff. But the idea that things were really bad and they were going to get even worse and there could be all kinds of very bad things in the short, like the relatively short term, the next few years financial collapses and mass riots and all this stuff. I fell for that, Tim, for the first, I don't know how long, at least a few months, possibly a year or two. I actually fell for all of that stuff. And eventually I grew out of it. My question for you, Tim, is why do you think some people, even though they've been here for years and years, they've been consuming alternative content and they've been you know, smarter than the mainstream, smarter than the normies, they still seem to want to believe that there's going to be financial collapse or there's going to be a breakdown of society, all this kind of stuff. Do you have a theory as to why? People who otherwise are seemingly intelligent, they still seem to want to believe in this doomsday and stuff. Why is the so-called truth scene? Why is this act realm still full of people who want to believe in the end times? What's your theory about this? It's a very great, great question. And I've been asking this exact same question myself because the doomsday doesn't come true you're sp- or your theory is falsified. You're supposed to move on. And I find a lot of them, a lot of truthers tend to hold on to the general story, the general what I call truth or orthodoxy, or even a cliche that we're in the end times and the blue pill people are sleepwalking through it. We need to wake them up. 
And I think this is trutherism culture, that a lot of them realize the news is lying, and so they gravitate to the loudest voices. And the loudest voices were all the ones saying, the sky is falling in so many ways. For example, um, Infowars. So I think the Infowars approach to media has become the dominant influence, which is we're going to face an end times crisis and nobody's paying attention and the elite are going to get us. We have to wake up. So there's this emotional appeal. And when people come to believe something because of emotions, it's very hard to get them to unbelieve it. You know, as Mark Twain said, it's easier to fool a man than convince him he's been fooled. And when they've been fooled through some emotional appeal, I think it's doubly difficult to pull them out of it. And I think what happens is the red pill so-called community see themselves as saviors, more or less, almost like proselytizers. Like, for example, I, I talk about Jehovah's Witnesses sometimes. They go door to door, and what are they doing? Well, they may have great intentions, but they're selling you on a horror story. Oh, your reality is not what you think. It's all going to end, and this is going to happen, and devils and demons and judgment. I mean, it's a horror story. And they have good intentions, and they're trying to wake up people who don't know how bad things are. So, in other words, I think the truth or movement, it consists of a lot of people who've been turned into stooges in order to advance fear-based propaganda. And I, I don't think they can let go. The main obstacle to answer your question, ego. I think it's very difficult for a lot of people not only to admit they've been wrong, but to look back and say, wait, I've been propagating false narratives for years. I've been lying unwittingly for years. And I think it's ego. And I think a lot of the people who've overcome that initial blow to the ego are those who questioned the shape of the world, for example. Because that takes a bit of, I think, a strong sense of self to be able to say, I don't know, or maybe I'm wrong on this big level. And uh, a lot of people can't take that leap. I think you're right about that. The idea that it has to do with ego and if people are emotionally invested, it's hard to let go of things. I think that's totally right. I think another element is if somebody were to accept, actually, the world is not going to end and whatever the so-called elites are doing, they might not have our best interest in heart, but ultimately we're responsible for our own lives. I think that's too much responsibility for people. So they prefer to believe that the end is coming, whether it's a comet, climate change, Jesus, the evil elites putting us all in camps or killing us all with injection, whatever the case is, they prefer to believe that the ultimate outcome is out of their hands because if they realize, actually, this world is yours to do what you want with it, you're in control of your own life. Nobody's going to have more influence on your life and your outcomes than you. For a lot of people, that's very daunting, especially if they've gone through 10, 12, 13 years of school, gone to college, all the rest of it. There's always been an authority who made the ultimate decision. Do you pass? Do you fail? Are you a good person or a bad person? Ultimately, there's always been someone else making that decision. The idea that, no, you're a grown adult and your life is yours and you can do what you want with your life. I think a lot of people, they don't like that idea, man. They'd rather believe that the, uh, the ultimate decisions have, have effectively been made already and now they're just a, like a barnacle on the bottom of a ship about to go over a cliff. You see what I mean? I think they just, the idea that, no, you are... You are responsible for yourself, and you can do what you want. I don't think a lot of people gravitate to that. I think that's one element of this anyhow. Now, we're about to get towards the end of the first hour of the call. Of course, I upload the official conversation, which is the first hour, the most important part. I upload that to Podbean, and it's available publicly. But the second hour is more of a back-and-forth conversation, and it's a bit less formal. I actually enjoyed it a lot more. And in that second hour, I want to talk with you about this idea that AI, and I've got evidence for this, Tim. I've got evidence. I truly believe this. AI, what they call AI anyhow, is already smarter, not then just the normies, but even most so-called awake people. I think AI is already smarter. I know that sounds crazy, but I've got evidence that I'm going to share with you in the second hour, and I want your opinion on that. We're going to talk about the current state of alternative media. We kind of already have touched on that, but we'll go into more detail about some specific case studies. We'll get an update on your case with the, the trolls or the, the mischief makers or these people who are trying to get in your way. We'll get an update about what's going on there. Election 2024, I'm going to tell you why I think I'm going to ignore the election cycle this year. I can see why you and most people will follow it, and maybe I still will. I don't know, but I want to see if I'm actually capable, Tim. Can I ignore it, or will I get sucked back into to watching it, even against my own ostensible will? We'll talk about that. And then finally, the part I'm looking forward to the most, what is this place really? Because I have, in the last few months, discovered some things which have caused me to reconsider what I thought was going on here. So we've got a lot to talk about in that second, more informal hour, which will be available both at bombersations.com and via 
the Infinite Plane Society Patreon. So tell the listeners as we get towards the end of this first hour, what are your plans going forward? You don't believe in doomsdayism. You don't think people should be afraid of a cataclysm or an end times event. What is it that you're hoping to do with your platform and with the think tank over the next few months and next few years? What is your vision for Infinite Plane Society? And then tell people about the Patreon, which they can join for a very small amount of money. They can support independent media, get the second hour of this conversation, which will probably be more like two hours, a second two hours of this conversation, and our previous second hours of our conversations, and so much more is all available at your Patreon. Tell them about that and tell them about what is your plan. Tell me, what is your plan going forward? What's your plan for 2024, Tim? Okay, we'll start with that. For the remainder of 2024, my plan is this. I have been discussing this concept of fear as being the primary weapon of the psychological warfare against us. That's primarily fear-driven, uh, panic-driven. I call it panic-demic, and the traditional right-wing conspiracy theorists fall for more of the moral panic-demics, satanic panics. But fear is the common denominator in all the ways that the power elite move the sheeple around. And so my plan for 2024 is to take the concept of auto-hoaxing, of mass media skepticism, and to actually create or split away from the alternative media, the trutherism communities, and have a separate body that is not only distinct, but self-aware as such. So to do this, I have recently published Auto-Hoaxology 101, which is a book that contains all the core ideas and the methodologies to media deconstruction, looking at it as a monolith, including predictive programming, for example. But my objective is to take the rest of this year and to challenge truth or orthodoxies as loudly as I can, even if I have to go to city council meetings, in order to kind of just you know shake the tree. Let's see how many people out there have already arrived at our level of skepticism. I guess there's at least 10,000. I suspect there's many, many more. And the way I'm going to affect this divergence and this creation of what I call a parallel media is by challenging truth or orthodoxies and creating a separate body. And this separate body, like my think tank, will just basically be a growing pool of people who aren't emotionally attached, who aren't afraid of anything, doomsday-wise, and who have a more analytical and philosophical approach to mediation itself. Because I think this gets into what we're going to talk about in the next hour. When examining mediation itself and how it changes our internal concept of the world, because I maintain that the mass media shapes our internal concept of the world. Beliefs don't change reality, but beliefs change our internal representation of it. And the internal representation of our reality, the consensus-shared worldview, is full of superstition and fear. And what I want to do is I want to split away from people who cling to the fear. And I'll, call, I'll ask them, you know, what is the basis for this? Why are you afraid of this? Do you really believe we're in the end times? And I find that when I challenge people, I start to understand their arguments more. So I think this is the year that the IPS at, at the vanguard of this splinters the truther or alternative community realm and creates a self-aware separate body, fear-free. And I think we're going to accomplish this mainly by the use of the textbook in the context of discussions and debates. And this has to do with internally questioning the truth or orthodoxies because they think we're on the truth side. We have the high ground morally. We're on the intellectual high ground. We're more honest. And so they criticize the mainstream media. But I don't see any internal criticism among truthers. And that's what my objective is here. And as far as 2024 goes, um, this is the perfect year to do it because this is the year where we're going to see who's on the world stage and who isn't. Who's putting faith in the screen? Who's accepting that authority? And who's voting for a politician? Because they're going to be giving, them, giving themselves away as dupes. And as far as the election goes, I'm going to opt out. Obviously, I'm not engaged in that sense, but I've toyed with the idea of publicly endorsing Joe Biden and voting for Joe Biden just to demonstrate that I don't believe it matters, one. And two, just to make a point that the truthers who are following Trump are deceived and voting for Biden, voting for Trump makes no difference. So I think I might make more of an impact than opting out by literally voting for the bad guy as just a, you know, a, a sort of an ironic vote. So that's probably what I'm going to do. 
Well, we've got heaps to talk about in the second hour. For listeners who are members of Bombersations, you can proceed to the second hour right now. Or if you are on the IPS Patreon, you'll also get access to the second hour. I make that available to Tim Osman to share with his patrons. But if you don't currently support independent media, don't worry. Bombersations.com has literally dozens and dozens of hours of different interviews that I've done with people over the last few years. The brightest minds in the act realm and beyond are available publicly right now. The first hour is available publicly of all the conversations. In fact, there's a couple of episodes where the whole thing's available. So go to bombersations.com and you can access this stuff for free. But for those of you who do support independent media, thank you very much. If you're at bombersations.com and you're a member there, or you're on the IPS Patreon, proceed now to the second hour where we're talking about why I believe AI is smarter than most of the truth is. And I've got evidence, folks. I've got the documents. We're going to talk about the current state of alternative media with some specific case studies. We'll get an update from Tim about his court case to do with the truth uh, mischief makers. We'll just leave it there for now. Election 2024. I guess we've already covered that. Apparently, Tim Osmond's voting for Joe Biden. There you go. There's an exclusive for you, folks. This is a conversations first. Tim Osmond is on the Biden train 2024. That's a surprise to me. I'll be honest. Very interesting. And we'll talk about, and this is my favorite part. I'm looking forward to this. What is this place really? Because Tim, you've been in now for eight years. You've been doing your own research and content creation. You've spoken to a lot of people. You've got a lot of comments and emails from people all over the world. You've had time now to get your head around what is this place. And I want to know what you think is going on here because I've discovered some things that I think change everything. So we'll talk about that and so much more in the second hour. This has been Bombersations episode number 36, January 2022 of 2024. I'm still getting used to saying that. We're in 2024 now. I can't believe it. I've been doing this for 10 years. I can't believe that either. I'm John LeBond coming to you from beautiful Plotiv, Bulgaria. I've got with me Tim Osman making his third appearance here on the Bombersations. He is coming to us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And let's go out with a tune. In fact, Tim, I'll let you choose a tune. Give us one of your favorites from Chief Crow and the Flat Earth Worms. Give me a tune that you like, and I'll edit that in to end of this. And uh, once again, go and check out bombersations.com listeners and check out the second hour of this call, either there or at the Infinite Plane Society. Tim, give us a tune from Chief Crow and the Flat Earth Worms. Okay, I would highly recommend and endorse Auto Hoax or GTFO. You've been listening to Bonversations. We appreciate and thank all of the supporters who make this possible. Now have yourself a lovely day. Hello.